Colloquium, Episode 8, Orange is the New Cape, C.W. Cook on Solitary. Welcome to Colloquium. My name is Marcusan, and this is my comics creator interview podcast for Sequart. I recently had a chance to chat with writer C.W. Cook, who has been making waves recently with his new superhero prison drama, Solitary. Last week, his Kickstarter for the book was fully funded. In fact, the goal is actually doubled. The first issue of a four-part series is being solicited by Devil's Due Entertainment for November release. Grab a copy of the current issue of Previews and flip to pages 306 and 307 to check it out. C.W. has been working as a writer in independent comics since 2007. He's done work for Blue Water Productions, Big Dog Inc., Arcana, Action Lab Entertainment, and Viper Comics. But Solitary is his baby. This is the book he's always wanted to do. He actually started crafting it when he was just eight years old. I talked to C.W. about the challenges of working on a creator-owned indie series, the politics of prison, what makes the mixture of superheroes and crime work, and whether or not he should have pitched Solitary when he was a little kid. Hello, C.W. This is him. Uh, this is Marcus on uh, calling for the interview. How are you doing, Mark? Pretty good. I've been uh, going through all of my BPRD comic books and putting them in order. <laughs> it's like a monumental task. Yes, it is. It really is. It's crazy. Uh, how are things with you? Good. Uh, working on the surveys for the Kickstarter as I speak and working on that. And then sending out review copies to people also for like comic book sites and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk about uh, Solitary. Congratulations on the Kickstarter. First of all, it's, you. it uh, you doubled your goal for it, and uh, so that must be pretty gratifying. It is. Uh, it's surprising. You know, I was nervous at first that I wouldn't make the 35, and then when we passed the 35, I thought, okay, well, from this point on, everything's kind of nice and gravy. And then as the day, the last day yesterday went on, I was thinking, wow, we're really, really close to double. And then, of course, we did double plus. So Right. That's a lot of rewards to send out. Yes, it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start out uh, just telling people uh, what the book is about. How do you describe uh, this series to people when they ask? Well, the easiest way to, well, the two easiest ways that I've figured that out now is initially the elevator pitch had always been, what if Superman was on the Green Mile? Um, you know, it was always one of those quick, easy 60-second pitches that people would be like, you know, that'd be weird. Now, because of Orange is the New Black, it's easy to say, you know, that plus Orange is the New Cape, where you tell people, okay, mm -hmm. so if Superman was on the Green Mile, he have, you know, he has superpowers, he gets executed, he learns that he can't die, a superpower he didn't know that he had before. Before, you know, he had 
super, not really super strength, but he had additional strength and he had flight and that was pretty much it. And now he knows he can't die. So it opens a lot of moral questions as in, you know, is he's on death row. He's been executed. Uh, he believes he's a superhero. He believes that he didn't do anything wrong. Should he break out? And if he breaks out, doesn't that make him the villain they think he is? Mm-hmm. So that's one of those questions that I initially didn't think about because I was working on this book and I thought, well, here's a great idea. I'm going to work on the idea. But then the idea, the the big aspect of the moral question of if you're a superhero and you break free, doesn't that make you a supervillain? So <laughs> that's one of those big questions that I never thought of. A friend of mine asked me and I thought that's an outstanding idea. <laughs> I don't know if it makes you a supervillain. It definitely makes you a fugitive. Yeah, it'll make you. It'll make them question your your validity and your arguing that you never did anything wrong. Because, and that's one of those things that you know he's going to be in prison. He's going to be on death row, and he's going to see all these people that he and his father helped put away. So he'll also learn a lot about these people that not everybody on in prison is a terrible, terrible human being, and he's going to make friends, which was another thing I didn't really think about before, thinking, oh, he's going to make friends, big deal, it's not going to matter, but yeah, he's going to make friends with some not perfect humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like this is a book that obviously you have a plan for, but as you're writing it, it kind of writes itself, the different situations that this character will be getting into. Yeah, I had a, I had a very, what I thought was strong plan of, I'm going to do, you know, four issue arcs or five issue arcs, depending on how much was needed. I was going to, you know, push it to, I had an idea for a loose hundred issues and then I started writing it more and I thought, well, I could go forever on this thing. And like you said, as, as more things pop in, it's like, well, what do I cut? What do I keep? And I had so much for the first, for the first arc that I had to cut it down from six issues to four, just for the sake of keeping it solid and not just, wasting time right well uh, on kickstarter you mentioned that this series was something you started when you were eight years old so where did the idea come from first good question it actually started uh when i was a kid the x-men cartoon the batman movies it all started getting really popular um x-men toys batman toys all that stuff was around and i was reading x-men batman superman everybody pretty much of the big ones um, at the same time, I wanted to draw comic books. So I started initially doing really terrible crayon and colored pencil and loose leaf paper drawings of the X-Men and then doing stories with the X-Men. And then those stories turned into my own thing, which was a group of superheroes, basically just a complete ripoff of the X-Men. Mm-hmm then started turning into, well, there's this one character that I focused on the most. So, you know, just like the X-Men focused on Wolverine, I had one character that I was focusing on. And then that took on a life of its own where he started becoming more and more super heroic and more and more like Superman. And then that took on a life of its own. But unfortunately, my art skills didn't keep moving with me. My writing <laughs> skills did. I focused on that because I wasn't a very good artist after that. My Art now is pretty close to how it was when I was eight. 
Do you uh, draw once in a while still? I try to. Uh, I doodle a lot at work when I get really, really bored. And I've done a lot of design stuff. I tried to actually try to, de- to design this character, but unfortunately the one design that I was really pumped for ended up looking exactly like Greg Capulo's, uh Nightwing costume. So mm-hmm. I kind of threw that away. <laughs> <laughs> so you started when you were eight. Why did it take you uh, so long to develop the book and get it out there? Why didn't you just get a deal when you were eight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't try, truthfully. Um, you know, at that point, I thought I was just goofing around, just having fun with the comics. And since they were, at that point, pretty much blatant ripoffs of X-Men, Superman, and Spider-Man, and Batman, you know, it would have been, oh, there's this eight-year-old kid sending us these fan comics. Cool. Let's put that up on our wall. Um, and, you know, life got in the way a lot. You know, you're growing up, and I read comics. I still read comics. So... 23 years of comic reading, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but as that went on and I kept reading and kept writing and, you know, high school, college, college was kind of where things started to develop a little more hardcore in the sense that I kept a moleskin notebook with me everywhere. I wrote down all the ideas I had. And then I had a couple teachers that pushed me in the direction of writing long form things, writing a, 12-page short story or writing a novel or writing a screenplay or writing something that was my own to then push out to the world. Did you go to school for the writing arts? I I actually started, I, I went to University of Kansas and I started as a film major, I think. I, I changed my majors about four times at KU. I was a film major at one point, I was a pre-med at one point, and then a pre-law at one point, and I ended up as an English major. <laughs> Pretty diverse uh, fields there. Yeah, it really is. Mostly because I wanted I wanted to be a director of movies. I wanted to write my own movies. I wanted to do all that too. But for whatever reason, I took a lot of creative writing classes. I took screenwriting. I took playwriting. I took short stories and creative fiction and things like that. And high school through college, the creative writing of my own short fiction or like this comic book, longer fiction was the thing that kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I, it was the one thing that I kind of kept at, uh, screenwriting I tried to do for a really long time, but then in, for whatever reason, 2007, I just focused on comics. Right. So it was, it was in your mind to do comics, but you just wanted to try your hand at something else. I felt like where I am in the world, I felt screenwriting would be more difficult than comics. Comics is not easy by any means, but it's easier to get a product created and not have to worry about a budget. Mm -hmm. Whereas filmmaking, you have to worry about, you know, if you're just a screenwriter, you have to worry about producers, you have to worry about actors, you have to worry about directors, you have to worry about catering, you have to worry about everybody. Mm -hmm. Comic books, you worry about yourself, you worry about the company you're working with, and you worry about the the partners you're keeping. So the artists, the colorists, that sort of stuff. Smaller scale. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Green Mile was your tagline. Was that an influence at all on uh, on the book? A little bit. Um, it's funny because I've always been a fan of Stephen King for as long as I've been alive, really. Uh, I haven't really read any of his recent books, but I don't really follow the Under the Dome show. But It's terrible, don't. Yeah, I know. That's what everybody says. 
I have a friend that hate watches it just because he hates it so much. Um, but just the, he was one of those, probably the first writers that I followed as a kid and, you know, six year old reading cycle, the werewolf isn't weird or anything. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think the idea of throwing a superhero behind bars and throwing him on death row and having him in this terrible situation, the green mile was the closest thing to that, that I could come up with. I mean, there's the shocker, the Wes Craven movie with Mitch Pelleggi. That's, and that's another one I could bring up, but people will be like, Oh, you mean like the Spider-Man character? (laughs) Uh, well, given that it's been uh, in development so long, were you ever worried that someone else might uh, put out a series with a similar premise? <laughs> a million times. <laughs> I actually had to change the title, uh, I want to say four or five times. One one time specifically, it was just based on the title was a little too out there and it wouldn't really be easily recognized by a comic book fan. What was it? Danamora. It's actually, the original idea was set in Clinton Correctional Facility in, uh, it's basically Danamora County in New York State. Mm-hmm. So, Danamora is what the, they used to call the prison, and I thought, oh, that's a pretty cool title, let's call it that. But then every comic book company I sent it to was thinking, that's too bizarre. It wouldn't <laughs> work. People would have no idea how to pronounce it, and that's what you spend most of your time talking about. Right. They they think it's a foreign word, probably. Exactly, yeah. Um, at one point, it was called Immortal, and then the movie The Immortals came out, and it was a little too simple. Uh, then it was called Virus, and of course I remembered that there was a movie from Dark Horse in the 90s called Virus that I didn't want to be associated with. <laughs> um, I think there was another one that was, again, they were all just either too simple or too bizarre and solitary kind of came out of the back of my mind. So a lot of the development came from necessity, really. Mm -hmm. That's the best title, by the way. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. There's a, you know, there's all these people that I know that I work with and that I just know through comics and, you know, you get to talking with them, you get to throwing ideas out to them and, having friends in comics has helped a lot and pitching these ideas and throwing these ideas to countless publishers and countless friends and then telling me, well, your elevator pitch is great, but, and again, it's funny because now that orange is the new black is such a huge hit. There's actually been, I want to say two or three comics that are also taking place in prison or having prisoners in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and there was, they had the rumor, well, it wasn't a rumor, they were working on a Green Arrow yep. movie, I think, where he was uh, going to be in prison as well? Yeah, that was 2009. I remember that exactly because I was in Santa Monica, California for a film festival slash comic book show. Mm-hmm. And I found out about that and my heart sank. Oh, yeah, it must have freaked you out. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's my exact thing. And in fact, uh, a friend of mine, posted the uh, Kickstarter when it was out on Facebook. And one of his friends said, oh, is this like that Green Arrow thing, Supermax? And I thought, no. <laughs> I thought everybody forgot. <laughs> I was hoping we'd been far, you know, way past that by now. But yeah, five years, still people remember. <laughs> well, uh, since you've been working on it all this time, when did you know that it was ready to be a comic book? Well, 
that's a that's a tough question to answer truthfully. I've been I've wanted to do a long form comic for probably my entire life. And I think uh Carl Yonder, the cover artist, he and I have been working on this pretty much since two thousand seven together. Um at one point he was the interior artist and he had done a lot of work for it and done a lot of, you know, creative direction for it, you know, um, and then he got busy with other things. He has a full-time job like I do. He has a book from Action Lab called Pirate Eye that's a pretty big hit for them. And it came to the point where I talked to him and I said, hey, I want to use you as a cover artist, but... I need to find a new interior artist. He was completely okay with it. He's been a very big help throughout this entire process. But I think whatever it was from that point on, so about 2010, 2011, has been the biggest push for the book. Um, so three, four years now that we've been working on mm-hmm. hardcore. And pitched it to Image, pitched it to Dark Horse, pitched it to a number of other companies. And for whatever other reason, for whatever reason, some didn't get back to me. Some, like Dark Horse did and said, hey, you know, I've got a number of friends that work there too. And they said that the only problem they had was we had a number of books coming up that had, you know, non-killable superheroes. Or comic companies said, we don't publish superhero books now because Marvel and DC are all that there is, really. Hmm. So, yeah, it's been a long time coming and a long time pitching it, too. Well, it's interesting, too, because I don't know when you pitched it to Dark Horse, but now they, they have a superhero universe, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I pitched it to Phil Simon probably in 2011, and then um, he and I have built a semi-friendship since then, but when they announced the uh, return of the oh, – I can't remember what the name of the series is – the one Joe Casey did was like a, the, the Catalyst comics. And they announced that. I said, oh, you guys don't publish superhero comics, huh? And, uh, <laughs> but he actually had a valid reason. They, they published a book called Never Ending, uh, I think, late last year, early this year. And it was a three-issue mini. And it, was, mm-hmm. it had the similar aspect of a superhero who can't die. So, uh, yeah. But not in jail. So, you know, I got that going for me. Right. Well, there have been uh, a, a few really great superhero crime dramas in recent years. Some of my favorites are from Ed Brubaker, Sleeper, Incognito. Yeah. What is it about the uh, that mixture of crime and superheroes that makes for a compelling read? Well, I think even going further back, I mean, you can go back to Powers, you can go back to Gotham Central, you can go back to, geez, probably even further than that, just the idea of mixing those two weird, vastly different worlds with, uh, you know, you've got your superheroes flying around, you've got your superheroes doing, you know, crazy, awesome things, and then you've got your cops, you know, regular dudes on the street. I mean, that's why Fox is doing the Gotham TV show, because people care about these characters. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, like you brought up Ed Brubaker, Ed Brubaker's one of the best, because... Going back to his Catwoman, his Gotham Central, his Iron Fist, even. The guy's been doing that for a solid 10 plus years now. Mm-hmm. And the idea of doing a superhero crime drama where you have 
these completely dis, you know disparate worlds and you're throwing them together and you're making this big huge universe of you have characters that can do Superman-esque things and you have these guys this job is to flip a switch and execute somebody or be the doctor checking the body and doing the autopsy. It's just they're so vastly different where you have real life people and you have, and I mean, that's one thing that even movies try to do. They try to inject that realistic superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned um, going on that track, but also um, what you mentioned earlier about moral questions, given that solitary is set in a prison, are you going to be addressing some of the problems with the American prison system, like overcrowding, uh, living conditions, stuff like that? Not so much in the first arc, just because there's so many things that I have to say to get the origin down, which it's not even really an origin. But my plan is, yes, um, without coming down on one side or the other, without saying, you know, I'm morally opposed to death row or I'm, you know, vehemently for it. It's one of those things that you have to kind of toe the line and say, well, I don't want to, you know, make one set of fans angry while making another set of fans happy, vice versa. My plan is to kind of take a journalistic approach to it. Um, you know, maybe, and I know some people that have spent a, a little bit of time behind bars, not an extensive amount by any means, but I'd like to start doing that, start talking to maybe even current prisoners, maybe visiting Leavenworth here in Kansas City where I am and just getting their aspects of it, what they feel is good, what they feel is bad. And yeah, I want to talk about overcrowding. I want to talk about how there are people that are in there for 20 years for a simple drug violation when there's people in there for five years for, you know, manslaughter, which is bizarre. Um, mm -hmm. But that's kind of one of those things that, again, the moral question will come up. He's going to make friends with some of these people that are in this prison. You know, he put some of these people behind bars. He's going to realize that maybe all of these people that they put behind bars don't belong there. You know, if they did something where it's they robbed somebody for the sake of feeding their family. You know, one of those old questions of is it right to, to you know, have a robbery or still a little for bad if you're feeding your family. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned he's wrongly sentenced. Like he believes he didn't do it. It doesn't seem like he did it from what I've read about the book. Right. Um, so he's going to be pissed, but he also must be thinking there's other people that are in here who also didn't do it. Right. And, you know, what can I do to, to change that? You know, yeah. how do I do that uh, and still be a good guy? Exactly. And that's the big question. If he breaks free, if he makes these changes, if he stays, you know, he's kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If he leaves, he could be considered a villain. If he stays and allows them to execute him or keep him on death row or keep him in solitary, is he saying he was wrong and he did it? So, yeah, that's a big that's a big question I'm looking to not really answer, but definitely explore. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, this book, Absolution. I don't know if you've ever read it. But it's about a superhero cop who decides he wants to start killing super villains. Mm -hmm. And it's so that he wrestles. I mean, completely different type of book. But the moral question was the most interesting aspect uh, of that series from Avatar. I really like that. So I'm, I'm hoping we get similar things in your book. I hope so, too. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about um, you know, your career, because you mentioned you've been working in independent comics since 2007. So how did you first just start writing comics? I um, initially started writing comics because I had an itch, and I had a number of friends that mentioned, instead of saying, you're going to do it, just start doing it. So... I took that to heart and I said, well, let's do that. Then let's go after it. Let's make it a point to attempt this. And I, you know, I, I, like I'd mentioned about screenwriting, I'd wanted to go into that. And then I thought, well, let's try comics. And instead of saying, I want to write comics, I started doing it. I started writing my own things. I started creating my own things. I started, um, pulling out the old, old notebooks full of ideas that I've had and getting together with, people that I knew wanted to create comics locally and then going into websites like digital webbing, um, pencil Jack, deviant art all over the place and trying to meet people to work with comics on. Right. Um, the main push was just since I've been reading comics as long as I have and made friendships with a number of local comic shops and a number of local comic creators, I've talked to a number of them and I've heard things like, you know, there's people that come into the store all the time and they say, I want to make this comic or I could do this comic better. And instead of just having that mentality of saying, well, if I was writing Spider-Man, I could do this and it'd be so much better. I would put my money where my mouth is basically and not say it, just do it and show it. Right. Um, well, comic book writing is, is something that you do on the side because you have a full-time job. Is it uh, difficult for you to do that? <laughs> um, the good news is I don't sleep much. I have pretty much, I pretty much have insomnia. So, um, if I'm working till, you know, if I work a nine to five shift, then I come home and I'll eat dinner and then I'll try to write or I'll start writing and just burn through it. The good news is I've managed to be able to write a full size comic, a 22. I've actually written some 22 page comics in full in an hour to two hours. Wow. I know. I don't always do well at it. Um, <laughs> Were they good? Uh, yeah. I've actually had a few that I've pitched, and one in, one in particular, it's being worked on now by an artist, and I'm just waiting to have that finished to get the finalized pitch out. But um, I had a period of time in 2000. 10, I believe, where I had a month in between jobs, and I wrote nine issues of a comic in a month. That's pretty good. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, I think the mentality of most writers will say write an hour a night or write an hour a day or write for an hour whenever you can. Um, my thought is if I'm on a roll and I'm writing and I'm going to keep writing, I'm not going to stop until I feel like I'm done or I can't write anymore. So. Mm -hmm. You know, if I write five issues in one night, that's great. But if it takes me a week, it takes me a week. If it takes me a month, it takes me a month. And a lot of times I still edit harshly and rewrites all the time. So right. it's not like it's an immediate perfect issue. But Well, I just read uh, Brian Michael Bendis' book, Words for Pictures. And um, he said that he does a, a comic book in a week. So you're way faster than him. <laughs> well, I hope. <laughs> I hope to eventually be on that aspect of having as many comics come out every month as he does, because that would be 
that'd be a wonderful thing. <laughs> so now Devil's Due has agreed to publish Solitary as a four-issue miniseries. So how did your relationship with them begin? By absolute luck. Um, my initial search for comic book companies was I wanted to write, so I sent out submissions letters to everybody. And that was in 2007. Um, you know, I had a few say yes. I had a few say maybe. I had a lot say no. And as I started pitching solitary heavily, I sent it to most of those companies that said maybe, all the companies that said yes, and even quite a few that said no or didn't ever respond. Um, it was mostly out of luck that I got in touch with uh, Devil's Do, and that was actually through Dirk Manning who I don't know if you know. Um, but he's done a lot of stuff with Image. He's done stuff with a lot of the small press companies that either I'm attempting to work with or have worked with. And he had a book, The Tales of Mr. Ree, that I had seen that he was doing, and they were picking up. So mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I saw that on Facebook. I saw The Devil's Do was back, and I thought, hey, you know what? I'll send it to them. What's the worst that could happen? And... Thankfully, I sent it to them because they've been just an absolute pleasure to work with. Um, I was actually going through my old files and I sent it to them in 2012, the first or the most recent pitch. And between 2012 and now, so I think it was uh, probably, probably almost exactly two years ago that I sent it to them. Um, I've been finished, like I've rewritten the first arc to four issues. The artist, Nando Suzumoto, finished the first two issues. Um, the, fir- the third and fourth are being worked on as we speak. But in between that time, you know, the pitch was hardened up. It was perf- it was perfected. And then basically I've made friendship with Dirk Manning, a better friendship with Dirk Manning, his artists, uh, the other company, the other people working with, Devils do like Kaylin Smith, Kaylin Smith on Plume and then the Squarriors team. And then Josh play like himself, the guy who's writing Mercy Sparks and runs the whole show. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to do the Kickstarter without them. I wouldn't have been able to get where I am now if it wasn't meant for them. So a lot of, a lot of my success has been luck basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, to find a publisher who you can really uh, work with. Well, like I said, it's lucky that I found him, especially because when I did, it was in that aspect of no one wanted to publish superhero books because Marvel and DC had cornered that market. Image had Invincible and that was it. And yeah, then Dark Horse started publishing them, Action Lab started publishing them, and now Devils Do has their superhero book and they're happy. So. Mm-hmm. I got really, really lucky. So you mentioned that you hope the book will continue past the four issues and become an ongoing. Um, how far into the future do you have this series planned out? I mentioned to a friend of mine actually yesterday. He was asking me about that too. Um, I would love to write this comic for till the day I die. And, you know, the way that it's planned out, the way that I've thought it through, I could essentially write, not in, it wouldn't even have to keep it all in prison, but I could keep a hundred issues solid and I could write that from now till I don't even know. 
I'd love to have the same type of run as like an Eric Larson or a Todd McFarlane. You'd probably finish it in a week, given your pace. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I could definitely, I could, pl- I could plot that in a week, definitely. <laughs> That's great. I mean, um, I mean, I love Invincible. I love Savage Dragon. Uh, I, I'm really happy that those books just keep going and going and taking yeah. different directions, you know, from what the yeah. initial concept was. I, I love that. And that's what's actually, that's a big plan of mine. I had five arcs originally planned with different subtitles. So doing it similar to like a TV season. Um, and then that blossomed into, well, if I do, you know, two, three seasons of, or two, three arcs of him in prison doing this, or, you know, the fact of the matter is since he's invent, since he can't die, since he's immortal, he could live in prison for, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of years. And then the whole book could focus on his time in prison. It could t- focus on the prison changing, his mentality changing, his body changing, those sorts of things, or focus on the world around him changing. Like he could get out and, you know, 800 years and the whole world would be different. It'd be like mm-hmm. the Captain America story. And I was just thinking about that, like you could do it far, far in the future, you know, where he's still around. And is there something that could kill this character? And does he want to find out? I haven't, I haven't come up with the kryptonite esque thing yet, but I've been asked that a couple times too. Is there a kryptonite that would stop him? You know, is it like unbreakable? Does he have problems with water? I haven't thought of one yet, but I'm sure there's something, and I'm sure they just haven't thought about it yet. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a bit about your uh, art team and uh, you know who they are and how you hooked up uh, with them. I mean, you mentioned the cover artist, but uh, what about the rest of the team? I've been thinking about that a lot. I think I think it came up. I, can, I think it came to Nando Suzumoto through digital webbing. Um, for the last seven years of making comics, I've fallen back on them a number of times for um, a number of different artists. In fact, I think Carl Yonder, the cover artist, was through them as well. Um, but that was a big drawing point because they have the, you can work as a collaboration, you can work as a paid person. And I found both of them initially through collaboration, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg and fake studios for the colors that was actually found from and brought to me by devil's Do, And I couldn't be happier to have them because they, once you see the book, you'll know what I mean, but they've done an incredible job with the interiors. Um, and then the letterer, Johnny Arnold, he actually just put together the review copy of the book, and that's being sent out to reviewers as we speak. And again, it's bizarre to have something that you've been working on your entire life and been focused on for seven years come out and look exactly how you wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Now, did you go through other artists? Did it take a while to find the, the right one? Yeah, I had initially done a couple, you know, page tryouts for people. And I had some artists that I'm holding back on and working with on other projects just based on the need for this book, where it needed to be either someone with Carl's style, where he does really dark, really gritty art, or someone with Nando's style, where he does really great superhero art that can also look a little gritty. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've had, you know, I've had other artists that, very cartoony, very, um, what's the word I was looking for? Very older John Byrne-esque art. 
and it would have been a little different and it would have been a lot of fun, but then I've had heavy anime art as well. So a lot, a little bit of everything really. Mm-hmm. There's a question that just came to me in your world. Is this, is this character the only superhero or are there other superheroes? The way the book starts is he essentially is the only surviving superhero. Uh, his father, his father was a superhero and actually is the reason that he was a superhero. He was a sidekick initially and his father's partner was a superhero as well. So essentially there were three at the beginning of the book and it's, he's the only surviving one. So the title solitary kind of turns into he's in solitary and he's the last surviving superhero. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I'm just wondering if there were other superheroes, you know, would how would they respond to one of their own being imprisoned? But she took that out of the equation, which is smart, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, okay, so one of the things that um, I think readers don't really realize is the cost and the time that's associated with putting out a creator-owned book, even when you have a publisher. Um, indie books by unknown creators or, you know, relatively unknown creators don't sell a ton. Um, and you don't really make a ton of money on the project unless it's really okay. successful. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the kind of work that goes into getting a creator own project like solitary off the ground. What are, what are the challenges, uh, being a creator owned book by, you know, a relatively unknown creator? Uh, it's a little maddening. Uh, you're fighting for shelf space. You're fighting for, um, ad space. You're fighting for basically every bit of getting the book out there to people. The nice thing has been the Kickstarter got out to more people than I ever could have imagined it ever would. But that's the first step. The next step is, you know, there's three issues past that. Plus all four issues are going to be in Diamond Magazine. So, getting it out there to everybody and getting people to pick it up is the next big thing that has to happen. Mm -hmm. So essentially what I have to do now is push and push and push and push just like I had been doing with the Kickstarter. Um, But you're right. It is very difficult. Um, It's, you know, it's my creator own book. It's my baby. So I will take a lot of that brunt and I will, push and push and push as much as I can. And I know that devil's do is going to help with that. But again, a lot of it is it's my responsibility because it's my book. So with image putting out a number of issue number ones every month, DC and Marvel doing the same, uh, it's a lot harder than I could have ever imagined. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they always say, if it's hard work, that means it's worth it. Well, you know, it is. It's worth it's worth the gray hairs that I'm getting. It's worth the worth the stress headaches. I just hope it respond. I, mean, I hope people respond to it as they have, and I hope people subscribe to the book. I hope it sells really well, so I can get more than one arc out of it. And I just, I don't know. It like you said though, it's it's stressful, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> To be brutally honest, it's it's a little maddening, uh, but you know if I didn't have two things going on right now, I'd have to find something else to have a hobby with. So, mm-hmm. oh, it's something you believe in. Exactly. Yeah, if you believe in it enough and you you want it to succeed, then you're gonna go after it. And 
if it's your dream, no matter how much it hurts or no matter how much it sucks or no matter how many times people say no or no matter how many times you fail, you're going to keep working at it and it's going to suck and it's going to suck and it's going to suck and then one day you might get lucky. And right now I'm feeling pretty lucky. So I'm rolling the dice and I'm hoping people come with me. <laughs> well, for people who didn't contribute to the Kickstarter or folks who are just hearing about it now, uh, why do you think they should take a chance on Solitary when it hits comic stores? Well, uh, it's actually currently in the November magazine of previews, which is, well, it's, it's the September magazine for shipping in November. And I actually have it right in front of me. Um, the reason I think people should, even if I wasn't writing it, I'd want to read it. Um, the big aspect of here's a superhero in prison. Why is he in prison? Number one, why isn't he getting himself out of prison? Number two, and he's executed within the first seven pages. What happens next? So those three big things, plus the art, plus the colors, plus the cover, the cover itself is an eye-catching thing. Oh, it's a great cover. I love it. Now, that was – I think that's what caught the eye of uh, Devil's Do in the first place. So that that cover has – definitely kept me kept me alive um, <laughs> but i think that as long as people see it as long as they respond to it like they have with the kickstarter and as long as i keep pushing it and again even if i wasn't writing it i think that i don't know i think the idea of here's a superhero on execute on execution waiting execution gets executed and then he wakes up so what's the story next what happens after that i think it's too too good to pass up i think it's something that a lot of people hear it and they think, why the hell didn't I think of that? So. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. There's so many different questions you have uh, with this book, like what's going to happen uh, from this situation and uh, looking forward to uh, reading it and finding out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that, that's all the questions I had CW, unless you wanted to say anything else. Um, you could find, you could talk about barbecue in Kansas city. I hear it's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, it's keeping me fat, so. <laughs> All right, great. Well, thank you very much for talking about Solitary. I hope it does, uh, you know, great numbers. And uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to reading it when it comes out. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Good night. See ya. Thank you for listening to the eighth episode of Colloquium with C.W. Cook. Ask your comic shop to order you a copy of Solitary for November. It's in the current previews catalog on pages 306 and 307. For more about C.W. Cook and Solitary, visit the book's Facebook page, Solitary Comic. For more about Colloquium, visit the Sequart Research and Literacy Organization website at sequart.org. Along with the cast, you'll find reviews, documentaries, scholarly articles, and many unique books that discuss and analyze your favorite comic book series and creators. Big thank you to John Rafano, who wrote and performed the Colloquium theme song. John is the guitarist for the post-rock metal band Sonhet. You can listen to the band's music at sonhet.bandcamp.com. Until next time, chums.